Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm your host, Diane Gibbs, and I'm joined with my friend, Chris Martin, and we're gonna be talking about feedback today. And Chris is amazing. If you don't know him, he has like 18,000 podcasts and no, he has th- t- three. I have two podcasts. Two. Well, I'm sure it'll be third by the end of the year because he's <laughs> an overachiever, but he's had more episodes than I've had. So he has great content. He is a super searcher is what I'm calling you because you are a really good researcher um, mm-hmm. and you really are open to new types of information. I guess I can drop my little hit record uh, reminder card. But can you give us a little bit of information about how you got started in design in the industry, but also in because you also do videos and then you do podcasting? Can you give give them a little bit of your background? Yeah, absolutely. How far back do you want me to go? I can go way back to like Photoshop one. (laughs) Well, how old were you when you did Photoshop one? I think I was in high school. So from so high like school, 16. after high school. So I actually, after high school, went to the University of Washington, and I thought it would be a great idea to study computer science because I was kind of a techie, nerdy kid. And I we got one of those IBM computers that like took up the entire room back in the day. And uh, I loved it. I loved computers a lot. And I thought, oh, I'll study programming. But I um, wasn't really good at math. And it takes a lot of discipline to actually study that kind of stuff. But uh, my first job out of high school was doing web development. And uh, I think for a year and a half, took an auto auto parts catalog and turned it into a database. What year are we talking? This is like 96, 97. So you were getting out of high school and I was getting out of college. Great. Okay. Exactly. So I thought, oh, I'll go to the University of Washington. That sounds like a really good idea. And about two and a half years later, dropped out of college to be in a rock band. So made the parents really proud on that one. I mean, that, that's a whole subsection of feedback right there. <laughs> and then after that, I actually went back to the Art Institute of Portland and got a degree in media arts and animation because they didn't have a film program at the time. And I didn't know how much I liked film. So I'm like, oh, I'll study animation because I like cartoons. I don't like to draw, but I like watching cartoons. There's so many ways that we could talk about all that. But through all of the journey, it was a lot of exploring and experimenting and and really learning on my own while I was doing official learning. So that's kind of where I fell in love with design, putting albums together for friends is how I learned Photoshop and Illustrator. And I learned the importance of 72 DPI versus 300 (laughs) when you're printing things and how effects change depending upon screen resolution. And then uh, got into video production, started my own business in 2006 in the worst possible way, not really having a plan. Hmm. And so, yeah, 15 years later, I'm still at it. Okay. So then when did you start your podcast? I started the podcast in 2016 and it was because a student that I was teaching at the time, she really loved what I was bringing to class because it was a professional practices class. And she's like, Hey, you should do something where more people can experience you. I'm like, well, I don't listen to podcasts. I don't really know much about the world. And uh, a friend of mine had a podcast for a while and he, I think it was him that encouraged me to do it. And um, yeah, I kind of took to it. 
Awesome. Well, Heather Cranks, she we know, but all both of us know her. So I'm mm -hmm. excited to have her here too. And Alan, um, just so you guys know, you can always, if you have questions, you can always put them in the chat. If you didn't know, you can always join us live. So if you're watching this recorded on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast player, but if you're in the chat, make sure your two says all panel, all panelist, all panelist <laughs> and attendees. It's all panelists and attendees because uh, I'm an idiot. But anyway, okay, so you have two podcasts. Why two and what are they about? So the first one's called Getting Work to Work. And that was kind of the first one that that kind of took off in my mind because I'm oddly fascinated with work. I like watching people work and I like documenting people working. And so it was kind of initially conceived as I can talk about 10 minutes or less on something. And then about 12 episodes in, I'm like, this might get boring for me really fast. And then I started interviewing people. So it's, it's really about things that I'm learning about or researching or talking about with others and then interviews. So I do two episodes a week on that one. And it's kind of a broad general audience. So the last interview that I released was with, um, I'm blanking on who it was. I think it was someone in finance. Uh, and, and talking about why finances are important and, you know, how you can love what you do and that the environment matters. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So very general. And then the second one is called Beyond Your Imagination with Chris Martin. I had to add be with Chris Martin, not because I'm an egomaniac, but because someone launched a podcast with that name two weeks before I did. And that was kind of like, wah, wah. Yeah. So but, wait, uh, Heather has a question. So you do yes. have about 3 million episodes in getting work to work, right? She says, how many episodes so far? 490. That's a lot, Chris. Yeah. Wow. And how many years? Since 2016. So four and a half years. Wow. It is super impressive. Okay. <laughs> so then you were about to say, and then the other one you've started um, mm -hmm. more recent. And is it as Correct. prolific? I wouldn't say it's prolific yet. So the the challenge with Beyond Your Imagination dot 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 was really about how can I take the the idea of a podcast that's super general, like getting work to work, but then add some new challenges. So get really specific with the audience. So this time the audience is all about filmmaking, specifically independent filmmaking. So this is a, an experiment in niching, 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 mm -hmm. niching, bam. whatever, and really trying to then go from an interview that's super researched and super planned to more kind of improvisational and focused on letting it unfold naturally. And then how could I promote a show without social media? That was the third challenge. So yeah. that was that was kind of the the reasons behind that. That's cool. Okay. So, you know, you don't ever have to worry. I think anybody understands niche or niche, but nobody <laughs> understands panelist, right? I can't even say panelist, but anyway, we're digressing. So we're going to go ahead and jump into some of this. And so you and I had, uh, we've worked together. I've hired you to do some work for me and uh, this is kind of where our feedback loop sort of um sort of started. Do you remember, uh, and we talked about this and you actually did some research on this. Do you remember getting <laughs> unsolicited re uh, research? Nope. Feedback as a kid. 
Now, how would you define unsolicited? So not from a parent, from maybe another kid or an older um, cousin or sibling or like an adult that was telling, Mm -hmm. but maybe wasn't a teacher. So, I mean, I guess a teacher is giving feedback, but I think we're more uh, apt to receiving that Mm -hmm. feedback or not receiving it. What's interesting is like, I actually asked my parents, like, what was I like as a kid in, in terms of you know, how, how was I in response to things? Because the first thing that comes to mind when, when you're describing unsolicited feedback were almost pivotal moments in school where a teacher was not mm. kind. Mm. And, I th- and fourth grade for me was the year where I remember the most. And the fourth first grade, who was your was- teacher? I don't want to name the person because of what I'm going to share. Okay. And never mind. so there were two experiences in fourth grade. The first was, I remember it was art time in class. And I remember walking with a friend fr- from like one side of the classroom to the others. And I said, I don't want to be doing art right now. I want to be doing science. Ooh. And I remember the teacher saying something to the effect of you have a bad attitude. You need to do what, what we're doing in class. I'm like, well, that's really interesting. And then the second one is the same teacher. And I remember at some point took me outside and kind of slammed me against the wall and said that I need to get my act straight. Wow. And, and so it's just like, I think that's where I originally go with unsolicited feedback was this almost external force um, kind of trying to whip me into shape in terms of, you know, not misbehaving and not doing you know, things that might be not what he would want me to do. So, so that's really good point. So unsolicited might, so if they were correcting you on math or correcting you even in art, but it Mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily about your attitude. And so both times you were corrected about Mm -hmm. attitude instead of saying, how can I get this kid excited about this? Or how can Mm -hmm. art be like science? Right? Exactly. So it was more of just kind of correction of the attitude. So I'll share this. I remember my mom, if you can believe it, I was always a talker. And so in second grade, Miss Vesperman, she, we had her for like math and something. We changed classes even as a second grader. She had our desk sitting four people and we were all facing each other. It was great. I loved it. And my mom, I guess, got called in and they were like, your daughter is a problem in class. And she's like, is this how you have them sitting? And she's like, yes. She's like, well, this is the problem. <laughs> it's if you're going to have her facing other kids, she's going to talk to those other kids. She's not going to pay attention. You know, like it seems like that would have been. But again, I don't know. The lady never changed it. So I just kept talking. Um, I always got in in conduct. So that means you need improvement. Mm-hmm. But I actually think that that's a really good I'm really glad my mom never got on to me about the needing improvement in conduct because I think that that was a really good skill and it's helped me to be able to talk to strangers, get to know people. So I'm glad I got ins in conduct, (laughs) right? Maybe you did for your attitude, but it's kind of like uh, you have to, you have to, you have to pitch it in a way that people will get on board. And I think that's Mm -hmm. the teacher's um, responsibility. I get frustrated like that maybe with some of my teachers also. So you also have said your, your mom gave you one answer and your dad gave you another answer. I thought they were both interesting. Can you tell them both just about what your parents said? Yeah. So I talked to my dad first, cause 
uh, he was the first one to respond to my text. And, and he's like, we got to talk over the phone on this one. I don't want it to get misconstrued through text. And so when we were talking, he said, you know, in, in my childhood, there was kind of two moments. There was before the divorce and after the divorce. And so he kind of gave me, gave me the feedback from that perspective. And, and the first one was really about how I was adventurous and, and open to new things and, and experimenting. But then as I got older, he, he said that I was more interested in guidance and direction, but only when it came to people that I trusted. That you respected, and, and, he, right? And that I, I respected, think, yes. Yeah. And so that was kind of one undercurrent. And then my mom was like, well, you were always really sensitive as a kid. And I was like, as a kid, you know, like <laughs> I'm sensitive period. And, and I think there, so there's this undercurrent of sensitivity to feedback, but also when I really respect someone wanting to be kind of guided and directed. And I, I think that creates some of the tension when it comes to giving and receiving feedback. Well, I think that that kind of speaks about what Van and I talked about last week about being sensitive. I think I was told I was a sensitive kid. Van was told she was a sensitive kid. And I think that um, I remember the last the first time I didn't cry when I got stung by a bee and I was probably four. Mom, you could put it in the chat if you can figure out how to do that. Um, but I remember we were at this uh, pool and I know it was under five because we had moved already. And so I remember I went up to her and I was like, I was standing there. I wanted to cry, but they had told me that I was, you know, to cry baby for a long time. Mm. But I think for me, I think being sensitive, I think we've got to figure out another word for it. And I'm going to search for that this summer. But I think being sensitive is really good, especially in what we do, because we're empathetic. So we're able to kind of sense out how other people are feeling. And so it's a really can be a superpower because, and I definitely think that you, you have that skill for sure. I think there's sensitivity, but then there's another component that I hope we'll get into is that I think there's a component of people pleasing mm. that affects feedback in terms of giving and receiving uh, more so in the, in the giving of feedback, but there's certainly that element of wanting to make other people happy. Mm. And so when you're in tune to the emotions and feelings of another person, you might, I might shove my own emotions aside and, and put myself in situations where, um, I'm, I'm receiving feedback that might not actually help me. Mm, that's a good point. Well, I think as a, when we're working with clients, we have to be able to take the feedback because it's for their project and, mm -hmm. and, um, and we have to get in their shoes and see, or mm -hmm. their client's shoes. Right. Um, so think about like when you were in school or even in the band, I didn't realize you were in a band. So I'm learning all kinds of new things. What did you play, That's by right. the way? Uh, guitar, but in the band, they wanted me to play bass guitar. Oh, okay. Because they could, yeah. Because the 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 guy who brought me into the band's like, I can hear your influences too much. Oh, so I want you to play bass because I can't hear your influences in the bass. <laughs> like, well, I can hear your influences too. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, they're getting feedback, right? So it has to do with uh, how, what, but it has to do with a goal. So when you're working with a client or you're doing something for yourself, you have, so you're working with a client, you have a shared goal and really it's, it does this thing align with that shared goal. And hopefully it's not really about you. It's not about um, the, the quality or uh, of the performance, right? It's about, did this meet my goal? The work was great. It's just, it needs to tweak to tell the better, tell a different story. But when you're doing it on your own, um, it can be, you're just like a storm. You don't know who uh, to please really. It's hard to get to that place of really being able to please yourself. So if you're thinking about taking feedback, and I don't know, I'm going to ask you specifically six months ago, maybe. But if you're before, like in college or when you dropped out and were in the band, getting feedback, what was your relationship with feedback like at that point in your life? I think it's important for everybody to kind of think about like these things of how you've grown and how you've changed and how you react. But Mm -hmm. I'm giving you a little bit of time to think about it, I guess. Well, I appreciate that. But at the same time, I think from probably six months ago to all the way back, I don't think how I processed and took feedback changed at all. Okay, tell us. Because I think there was no separation between my Mm. identity and my action. I I couldn't find that separation between performance and goals. And so any form of feedback was an immediate hit to my ego, to Mm. my identity. And and so I, I don't think that it really changed until six months ago or started to change. So then what six months ago happened or maybe I don't know what time of the year it was. Mm-hmm. So I'm just making that up that six months. I don't know when that was. <laughs> it was whenever we had the conversation about my website. No, okay. seriously. I mean, that was such a pivotal moment because it started that separation of my identity and my action in a good way, because it's so, it was so tightly ingrained in me. I mean, I was wound tight. Yeah. Okay. So here's, let me just like, and the safe word remember is rooster, although this is a chicken. Um, I don't but, need a safe word. It's okay. okay. But that is the safe word. That is always the safe word. Um, so if somebody just randomly says rooster, you just know, I'm going to move on to the next question. So, Here's the situation. I was um, looking for uh, Chris and I were friends and I, he was, I, and I really, I'd been on his website. I, I have a poster outside at the, right next to the computer lab for, so this kids can see his uh, podcast poster. Um, Like there are, um, I, and I was always right. And I was like, Hey, but this is a pain point for me. I, and he's doing a lot of podcasts and we're talking and, I'm hearing things, but sometimes I'm like, I go to people's websites to see maybe how I can engage with them or how I could use them. Or, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to see what I can, because I don't want to offend anybody. Like, oh, would you like to edit my podcast? And you're like, no, I do not do that beyond penalist <laughs> work. Right. Um, right. So I didn't know. I always try to just like do a little bit of research. And so I had done it in between. We usually talk like once a month. I think we were talking Um, at that point. And so I was like, okay, well, um, Hey, you know, I tried to find, I, can I ask, maybe I said, can I ask you a question about, would you do this? I don't want to, I don't even know if I said, I don't want to offend you, but of course I didn't want to offend you. 
and you said, yeah, I could do that. And, and it was such a way, like you weren't offended that I asked. And I was like, you know, Chris, can I, I don't even, I probably didn't even ask. Can I, can I give you some feedback on your website? And you know, I'm like a web geek. Like I'm a Donald Miller story brand drinker. And I like, I just think that the, I really want to try to help people get their message clear and get it across. And I totally agree with that part of the Donald Miller uh, Kool-Aid. And so, and but to me, it's like, if you take Donald Miller and then you take really good design, then you can have this like superpower of a thing. And that's what I try to do with my design stuff for my clients. So I said, um, cause I said, I don't know how to use you or what I can use you for. And you were like, huh? And I could tell there was a little bit, but you let me keep going. And then we kind of like pieced through, but it was because I really wanted to hire you. So there was genuine, mm-hmm. right? I wasn't like trying to tear you down, but we had this, We uh, I think maybe the next day or the next week I texted you or, and I was like, how are you doing after our conversation? And you were like, I feel like a bomb went off or you, uh, what, yeah. a grenade or something. And I was like, oh no. Right. It was like, cause you handled it very, I couldn't tell by your body language. Maybe okay. I could tell a little bit, but I couldn't tell. You seemed like you genuinely wanted to fix your website and you wanted to, mm-hmm. you wanted to help me, you know, like in, in doing anyway, do you want to tell them about it? What it was from your side? What's fascinating about thinking back about that experience is like, it came at one of those times where I don't know if anyone else in the creative land can relate to this, but there's that moment where you're stuck in your head and you're transitioning from something to something, but you're in that moment of transition where you're just all in your head. And when you came to me, I was totally A, in my head and B, not really open to sharing where I'm going yet with people. So I wasn't really, I wasn't clear myself on how to communicate that thing. So when you came to me and like, can I give you feedback? I'm like, sure, because I don't know. (laughs) And And I think there was a lot of uncertainty in myself about the reason why you you don't really know how you can use me is because I don't know how you can Mm. use me until we're talking. And, and I, and I think what that call really real was the revelation for me was just how important being around people was and is, and how that really opened the floodgates to being able to see a new way of being. Cause I I've been shut off intentionally from people for a very long time. It might not seem like it, especially, you know, there's people here that might be like, Oh, Chris is really open and welcoming Eh, to a point because I've purposely kind of shut myself off from people being able to give me feedback and, Mm -hmm. and speak into my life and to actually help me. Cause I'm kind of like, you know, like, Oh, I'll figure it out and do it myself. I don't need Mm -hmm. any help. And that's been almost the most, I don't want to say the growth point, but I think that was the growth point of being able to say, I'm not getting what I want in life anymore. But you were already on this transition phase. So, so you had started a coaching program in what month last year? uh, July, I signed up for it. 
Okay, but you had been thinking about it. It wasn't like one yeah. day you're like, bang, I'm doing this thing. I mean, so this is something that, because this is like a commitment of amount of time, right? You're getting mm -hmm. a ton of, um, Jacob says, Chris is very open and welcoming and gives amazing feeds, feedback. And Heather said, yes, he's a fantastic person, great podcaster and interview. Absolutely. I totally agree. So coaching has, you know, you're being able to listen and ask questions because you had seen that you had some sort of superpowers as you're doing so many interviews you're seeing or you're seeing you can offer something as a light bulb to somebody in there like oh i hadn't thought about that right so it was kind of a natural progression i think probably um yeah. and, and you also realize and i don't remember exactly where but you realize or when um i'm not great on time i mean like well anyway um but like uh, where it was in your career in, cause you like to do series. You like to work with people long-term on telling a story and creating something instead of just like a one-off kind of thing. Like that's where your jam is. And you're really good at that because you can help them grow again, similar to kind of coaching because you're coaching them through episodic times, right? Things. Yes. So what's interesting is like, you know, I got the first inkling for coaching in 2012 and wow. I remember taking a class in my master's degree program and it was, it was six weeks exploring the world of coaching as it relates to business coaching. And, and I remember reading this book and this was the first time that I really came across curiosity as a topic point because the book was called coactive coaching. And I'm like, curiosity was at the core. And I'm like, I love this. But, you know, 2012, I think I was, you know, I was in my early 30s and I'm like, I'm not quite there yet. I still have a lot to learn. I mean, I still have a lot to learn, but I had a lot more to learn then. Um, and it was always kind of in the back of my mind of something one day. And so when I had some things happen last year in July where, you know, God, the universe, whatever you want to call it gave me a very clear no on a direction. I'm like, all right, I'm going to now's the time for coaching because there's some, some things. And, and I think that combined with, you know, you sharing what we were going through with the feedback. I, I think those were all those catalyst moments of, of being then open to receiving that feedback. And then you start seeing the separation of, well, I'm actually getting really clear on who I am so that when people give me feedback on what I do or how I do it, it actually doesn't feel like an emotional hit every time. Mm, let's talk about that a little bit. So I always feel like there are times when there's the fence, right? Mm -hmm. And and sometimes you haven't decided where you are on the fence, if you're on this side or if you're on this side and you're kind of riding the line, right? Is that funny? I I'm, I'm laughing because it's so true. <laughs> I remember there was a situation at work one time and Hey, Joey, who's in Hawaii. Um, there was um, a situation at work and I felt like a colleague was really riding the fence. They were trying to please both me who was on one side of the fence and then this other person. And I understand like it puts people in a pickle. What they were doing was leaving me out of a whole bunch of things, which uh, was, it was hard. The person doesn't work here anymore. I mean, Anyway, it's been a long, long time ago, but it was really hard for me. And, but I realized, you know, that person 
the the pickle person, right? They were being put in a tough position, but I had made a decision on what side of the fence I was going to be on. It doesn't mean I can't ever jump the fence again. I think we need to remember that just because we made a decision one day about one thing, it doesn't mean that it's forever got to be that way. You know, I feel like sometimes we think that like, I'm going to make this decision and I'm not, I'm going to say, I'm not going to like chickens. And then if I meet a really nice chicken, I won't, you know, like, I can't like you. I said I didn't like chickens back in 2008, right? Like, we, nobody's holding us on to that, um, that old decision, maybe. And I think that has to do with being teachable and things like that. But when, when we ride that line, when we're okay with who we are, then we get to decide because sometimes we just haven't thought about that decision. And so then we think about it. We decide, oh, I'm going to be on this side. So it's not when then you it's like I'd like for people to say, oh, well, well, what do you think about this? And I'll think about it. I'm not like an automatic. I can't automatically say something. I have to kind of think about it and process it. But then I can say, oh, no, that your question helped me to decide that I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be on the side of the fence. So it's a uh, clarifying instead of a, uh, a puncturing, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, like iron, like you, you, uh, my husband's a welder, so he beats metal and it gets harder, stronger, right? So it becomes, instead of it piercing as what maybe it was doing in the beginning of our, anybody's time, it starts now hardening it so that we're, con- we're stronger in what we're able to, hold that space, I guess. Mm, probably didn't make sense. No, it does make sense because I, I like the analogy of, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is iron sharpening iron. Mm-hmm. And and when when you take those hits, you know, you do get stronger. And even like how you think about them, do you think of them as hits or do you think of them as, you know, <laughs> is it your husband with a giant hammer beating me down <laughs> right. or is it, you know, is it just an opportunity to growth or mm. to grow? And I, I think that's kind of the, the different way to look at it. Okay. So Paul says feedback only makes sense in quotes. He says, makes sense uh, like that when the goal is shared or at least understood at the mm-hmm. same by the giver and the receiver. So this happens with client relationships. This happens mm-hmm. with friend relationships, with uh, uh, family relationships, but also coworker relationships. Like that's where it's always good to like have a, you know, a, a time where your company is coming together so that you're on a single mission, right? So that we're all reminding us what the mission is or talking about those things or in your house, you and your wife or, or uh, whatever it is. So I think that one of the things for you, you kind of had been involved in community and then you kind of like uh, pulled, pulled and you were more soloed out, or I call it siloed. You kind of siloed yourself. I think a lot of people have done that in COVID, right? We've kind of, and I, I mean, I think people do this naturally because they're like trying to get their business done. And so they, silo away from other people. And so that's, it's really hard. Uh, and then we don't have the feedback with, that we're trying, like, well, how much are you charging for a logo? Oh my gosh, really? You're charged. I'm only charging that. Like, because we're not having those conversations and there's a, a Brene Brown who we both like, uh, she says a lot of that has to do with shame. So we're afraid to be vulnerable and share that stuff. And what I've seen uh, by teaching or by doing mastermind groups, which it's not me teaching anything in mastermind. I'm just 
facilitating really. Um, but you're in, in one of my, uh, in my night group, the power station at night um, this season. And I think that what I want people to, one of the things I want people to take from today is that I don't think you should ask for feedback from the internet. Like, <laughs> I think that it's uh, so exactly what Paul said. Paul said, you need to, it needs to be understood by the giver and the receiver, the giver, you are the receiver, the person putting the thing out there, you and the whole world do not have the same vision. And I think that's where I really like these smaller groups, like these masterminds, because then we get to really hear what your goal is. And then we help you reach your goal because we're not competing against you. We want you to succeed, but we can kind of come and rally around you with our experience and our knowledge for helping you to get to some really good places. If we're for sure clear on what you want for your goal, which is kind of like a client thing as well, but it's also safe. Like it's, it's small, it's a small group, it's trusted and it's um, you have to be vulnerable and you've been very vulnerable in the group. Well, I think too, that's the shift is when you go, I like how you call it siloed or soloed, because when you go from having to figure everything out yourself, it's, it's not that you have to, I think for me, it was, a, it was a choice. Uh, when I left my job in 2005, I purposely made a choice to move away from community. I made a conscious decision to not trust anyone else. I, I was very hurt by the, the job that I had left and cause everything was wrapped up into that job. And so mm -hmm. when I started my business, it was like, I mean, bad habit after bad habit of just uh, every decision that you shouldn't make, I was making because I'm like, I'm going to prove them wrong. Mm. And, and just year after year of that, but then there, there were all these five steps forward, 17 back, you know, and there's all of that striving and chasing and you just get tired of that. Oh yeah. And, and I think when, what power station has really helped me to see it's just like you're saying, it's like, I don't have to worry about having all the answers anymore. I just have to have the answers that, that I really kind of need for what's the idea in my head. And then I think the, the powerful question that I'm learning to ask is this, what am I not seeing? Mm. And believing that I'm actually not seeing something as opposed to you know, in the past to be like, I see everything. I'm not omniscient. And I, you know, I plan for everything. And when in reality, I'm not <laughs> I'm falling down pretty hard. But it's about um, feeling like you have to have that front up, right? That you couldn't change sides of the fence, right? That, that there wasn't a gate that you could go through, right? Like, I think that there's, for me, I think that there's been something, I think my dad, uh, <laughs> still th talks to us like probably once a week he'll be like i just want you girls to be able to make decisions and i'm like dad I'm pretty <laughs> yeah. sure i'm making decisions every day but i get what he's saying you know like it's not um and i think when you're in a really tight community so i think that uh they your decisions are seen as their decisions and so they want everybody to kind of have this global decision and it becomes unhealthy you know everybody's a different person and everybody needs to be able to make their own decisions i think i think it most people would react in the same way they would turn the magnet on the other side and start being repelled right but i think that what i've seen within community is that i see 
I see that's where growth happens for me is when I'm able to say no matter what, like whether it's somebody who's way younger than me or somebody who's older than me, I don't care just as long as they're able to teach me something and able to be vulnerable. So what I've seen is people who are um, in able to ask for feedback. So not even asking uh, their, um, Maybe where you were six months ago, where you were like, I don't need any feedback. Like, I'm going to be fine. I do it my way, right? And I don't think that's maybe what you were like, but I'm just saying as a, not you necessarily, but somebody. But it comes across as I don't really value any of these people. Now, on the internet, I absolutely think you should just stand firm on what you're doing. If you're not ready to share it, then don't share it, right? Like, uh, Van and I talked about it last week. Don't share from your uh, wounds, share from your scars or teach from your scars, not your wounds, because it's still too, you're too sensitive in a, in a way that's not helping other people to be more empathetic, I guess. What I appreciate about what you're saying too is, is I think there, when you're teaching from your scars, like I also like to teach from my wounds. Uh, so like I'll, I'll riff off that because you'll uh, pick at your scab. Yeah. Because what's interesting is like, okay, here, here's a very real revelation. Like I never thought I was a verbal processor and, and, and I was talking to my wife the other night and she just looked at me and she's like, are you serious? Like, I kind of think the same thing. Of, of course you're a verbal processor. I never really thought that I was. And, and, and what I, what I realized is that as 100% connected to feedback, mm. like I, I couldn't see how I was actually thinking about things in the right way. And so. So I, I realized, you know, like when I'm speaking on my podcast from my wounds, mm. like that is, that is a form of verbal processing. Uh, when I'm, when I, I just did an episode about feedback where I'm exploring the separation between my identity and, you know, why I'm doing something, who I'm doing it for and, and all these things like that's, that's from my wounds. That's not necessarily from the scars, but I think where the scars for me play in is it creates that protection when mm. I am speaking from the wounds. I know it's not going to hurt me to the point where I can't recover. Mm. And so I, I, I think the scar gives me confidence mm. when, I'm, when I'm willing to be vulnerable from the wound. Does that make mm. sense? Yes. Yes. And that was a great podcast. And I'll have to, it'll be underneath because I listened to that one because you really had done a lot of research based off of feedback. Um, I always ask when people, I don't ask my students this because they don't have an option. <laughs> um, and Jesse <laughs> and, uh, Alan are both in here and they've both been my students. So they understand. But when you are in like a one-on-one -on -one or you're, I like to know what kind of feedback people want sometimes. And there have been times I've asked D Ingalls for feedback and she's like, I was like, I just need celebration. I can't change the thing anymore. Can you just celebrate with me, right? And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that because sometimes we're just too close. It's still like a little bloody under the Band-Aid, but hopefully this scar is going to be done. And I know that there could be things I could work on, but I'm going to need that in a couple of weeks when I actually can 
not be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, right? As I've already sent the sticker sheet out to be printed, right? So feedback for me is, do you want like a critical feedback, meaning a constructive uh, feedback of what it could do based on your goal? Or do you want like uh, like brainstorm? Like, could you try this? Or could you try this? Or uh, could you just be in a like a hot seat kind of questioning um, seeing it from another perspective, from the other side of the fence or from above the fence or from below mm-hmm. or something. Um, and I think having understanding that there are different types of feedback and you did some research on this. Do you want to talk to him about some of those? I'm totally curious about what you just said though, where you're talking about what type of feedback that you want. And I think about if you're feedback deficient, like I was, and and I feel like I kind of am still. I, I feel like I need more nut- nutrition when it comes to feedback. Because, like what? You know, I I think just exposure to it. I mean, like mm. if if all you're doing is stuff by yourself and you're not mm. open to feedback, you're not used to it, so you don't know what type of feedback that you need. Oh. And so when I was when I was doing the research for the podcast on feedback, I was reading a book and they were talking about social penetration theory. And right. it's, it's really about the unfolding of, you know, intimacy with someone. So think of an onion at that outermost layer, you are general information, you know, it's your biographical data, it's your name, Diane, and it's the posters right. on the wall behind you. But as you get further and further in towards the core, you're getting more and more intimate and you're less focused on the group and you get more intimate with who you're talking with. And so I kind of took that analogy and applied it to feedback. So at the core of who I am, like there's not a whole lot of people that can speak to who I am and shouldn't speak to who I am because I don't want to be constantly changing based upon the power that I'm giving someone to say, Ooh, Chris, I don't know that that doesn't sound like you. And it's just like, well, you don't know my (laughs) innermost thoughts. You're not in my head. And so there's that component. And I, and for me, it's like, it's me and, you know, my relationship to God and that's it. Yeah. But then there's that layer outside of that of like, who am I? And that's your family. That's your spouse or partner. And that's the people closest to you that really speak to and confirm those things. And I think create that tension between your inner core and that outer protection layer. And then we start getting into things like, well, why am I doing things, you know, and that, that motivation for reasoning and, and then uh, what am I doing? And then how am I doing it? So you go from this innermost being that's fully protected to hello, internet, here's my thing. How did I do? (laughs) And, and for me, when I started getting that logical separation, that made a huge difference because I was so feedback deficient. And, and so I could start seeing like, okay, I, I, I can start seeing the scope of feedback that I could possibly need, mm. depending upon who I'm talking to. See, Chris, you ended so you ended up switching the tables and you said, would you want me to do that for you on your site? And I was like, hell yeah. You know, I know my site got a lot of work to do. And I absolutely. So one of the things I love about Chris is that he really understands he's worked with a lot of other podcasters. So he's given me some freaking great I mean, he typed them all up. Talk about a great audit for the podcast. For me, I've actually implemented some of them and some of them I'm just in the process of, but I'm going to implement it because it's, it's 
amazing information. And it's like, it's taking you fr from your expertise and then something that I'm deficient in. And I love that Joey said, your feet, like the lack of feedback, you're having a detox from the lack of feedback. Mm -hmm. You're having to ease in to it. what yeah. actually we all will be once COVID is over or whatever. We will have this sort of you've been siloed and now we have to come mm -hmm. back. And I noticed this and I don't know if y'all do this either. But, you know, when you're in your head or you're driving, you like maybe say something about the other drivers out loud, right? But you're safe. You're in your car. Well, the other day I was at the grocery store and I do not remember even what this guy did, but he totally like cut me off at the end of a row. And I'm like, dude, like I had to like slam on the buggy brakes, you know, and um, and I said a bad word out loud in my mask. You know, I'm thinking the mask like I mean, I have hard of hearing. I didn't say it very loud, but I was like, oh, my goodness. But I think I like, you know, our masks are like people can't read your lips behind it. So I was thinking, ah, oh. but I think that we will have this because we're not around people as much. So we have to get back in. I don't think you probably needed to be like all in cult life, you know, living with your, you know, <laughs> your um, the your neighbors in the in the garage or something. Um, but I think that there's. Um, there's something definitely that is missing. And I see it in students uh, when I'm teaching. I think it's hard to give feedback. I think in the beginning of a new season of Power Station or Mastermind or any mastermind that I'm in, any group that I'm in, it's hard if they don't know you really well to be able to give you the kind of feedback because they don't know how you will react. So they have to do these little sort of tests and see. And then it's yes. like you give a little and then you come back and you, and you know, this as because you've been a teacher as well. So you understand, especially in coaching, this is people are paying you and it's, they're wanting some feedback. They're expecting some, but then you can also have people who are like, dude, I just want you to tell me what I'm doing is good. Like that's the celebration <laughs> feedback. Right? right. And so I think it's good to remind them of what kind of feedback you're looking for. I think for me, the people who I can't really help are the people who are, aren't willing to, mm -hmm. so the unteachable, right. Unteachable students that they think they know it, um, everything they're they're They don't need any help and they definitely don't, uh, they don't respect me. Right. Like your dad said that you could listen to people if they, are you appreciated feedback if you respected those people? Um, but I think that there are people who just are too, they've hurt, been hurt too much. And so they're not willing to at all open the doors for anything. And I, I just, there's not much, there's not much room for me as a friend, as a, a teacher to, to be able to do anything with that. But it's also that they're not, they are a, a siloed. So they are a castle with no moat, you know, no, no drawbridge. And I, I, um, it's just hard because it's hard to reach those people. So I just know that I can't really do much with that type of, um, person. And, and I think when you can look at people and just be understanding of where they're at, I, I think that's been one of my biggest awarenesses too, of, of understanding, you know, where are they at in their journey? 
what are they trying to do? You know, do they just need encouragement? Do they do they need to be challenged? Do they need that critical feedback? Um, I, I think back to when I was a kid and I was motivated by the high score. I had to beat the high score on the video game. And I was so internally driven to, to beat that score every time. And, and so I have to think about like, what is someone's high score that they're trying to beat right now? Mm, that's and, a great and, point. Um, are they, you know, like for me, it was the Nintendo entertainment system track and field game. And, and like you could hit the A button really fast to try to run and do the long jump. And, and it's just like, we're all trying to like figure out the way to be, get a better score, you know, mm. in our, in our video game, mm. especially yeah. right now, since we're all online. <laughs> for sure. So what's been hard for you in giving feedback? It all comes to people pleasing. So like, even clients, there, so clients, even, even clients, there's this, there's this block in my brain that says, when I give any sort of feedback that could be conceived as constructive, it's automatically negative. And so there's like this correlation of, of negative with construction, constructive. And okay. so that's playing through my head. And there's a lot of fear around that. Mm. When I'm not doing creative work or, and when I'm in more of like that coaching relationship, it's totally different. Like I am more open to listening to and giving that feedback. It's a much different relationship. I've established the relationship a lot differently than with the creative work that I do. It's super fascinating. That is, a, uh, that's a great insight. And what a great right here at the end to say that, because I think that it is about how you set up that relationship, whether it's with a client or whether it's with coaching or whether it's with a kid, you know, it's your, your child or a parent or whatever. Right. So uh, Pridge asked a question. I want to make sure uh, to go about, but I, I think that it really is about setting. Um, so I always think just to touch on your thing real quick, it's really interesting that we, um, we are serving them, right? We're we're taking their thing. But if we had an idea that would probably be more successful, sometimes we will hold back because we don't want to hurt their feelings. Or uh, again, it's about people pleasing. Sure, we can do that. Sure, we can do that. But maybe um, what is um, what I found later in in life in my business is that I if I take that chance to at least say what it is I think we could do or should try to do. Um, they're like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And that's what I think I normally do in a coaching setting. Like I'm bringing out patterns that they hadn't seen or something else. And um, and I think that if we come in as that, being more strategic on looking at it from a, as a holy, right? Looking at their whole element, their whole person, their whole campaign, their whole, you know, business, we can actually bring more to the table instead of just being that pixel pusher service provider. One of the things that's kind of popping up into my head right now is there's a difference between the coaching relationship and the creative relationship, because the creative relationship has 15 years of bad habits associated with it. So like I've, I've developed these systems and these habits based upon you know, who I was 15 years ago. 
and kept perpetuating that through time. Whereas right now with coaching, it's like, it's fresh, it's brand new. It's, it's, it's launching from a place of who I am today. And so there it's, I'm not in conflict with that. Like I am with some of the other things that I've done for 15 years. Right. And that is the thing that just blows my mind when I really think about it. I hadn't really thought about it until now of just how much tension there is between who I am now and who I used to be. Huh. Because you have that experience, you put that expectation on yourself that you should know this or you should. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. That's good. That's really good. Hey, verbal processing right there. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So Pridge asked, can you elaborate on how to convey a, and define a specific type of feedback? For example, after presenting a creative campaign, we always say you can only base it on the brief or don't give us your personal opinion. True may not be uh, true. That might not be helpful for non-creatives. Does this make sense? And so I'm going to say this. So if I was presenting, I had um, interviewed this really bothered, I mean, I have a had an issue with this and I think I've changed this since I interviewed, um, I'm blanking, he does Logo Geek, Ian Padgett. Um, and Ian, he's like, he never starts about uh, how do you like this? He says, he restates the goal and then he says, this is how this meets the goal. So you can always bring like facts in, like we've tested three of your subjects and this is what all three of them said, or this is what two out of five said, or this is, you know, whatever. So then you understand that you're proving it. You're not um, you, but you restate the goal. And he always like, this is how this is meeting this. This is how this color. So it's, it's all like, taking in the psychology of whether it's the color or the typeface, all the stuff that we do, we, a lot of us do intuitively, we now have to put facts to it. And so he actually is proving it. And so there isn't much, um, he'll say, well, then you, we, again, we can do more testing or, or, it, but it's not like a, what do you think? It's like, are you ready to try it? And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, they give you some feedback. Um, but again, it's based on real tests or whatever, instead of just opinions. And I'm not sure if that helps, but what do you think about that? I was going to come at it from kind of the episodic nature of what I do. And so when I'm working with a client on, you know, developing their podcast, for example, and I'm coaching them, I'll be like, what felt good about this episode? What, what do you want to do differently the next time? And so I kind of let them speak from their feelings and their emotions. And then I'll be like, well, I didn't get that at all. This is what I heard. And so it's more of a dialogue about things. And then we take that and put it into the next iteration. And I think that's why I like the iteration so much is because it's so natural to learn from. Whereas mm -hmm. when, let's say you're doing a video project, I mean, the iteration is through the process. So you've, you've developed the story from the very beginning and then it unfolds in each stage of production. But if you don't get it right in the beginning, you're just iterating on garbage. Right, right. So... I guess um, in what I've learned, my friend Claire taught me this. She's like, well, Diane, you should really ask what kind of feedback they want. And so um, one of my first seasons of uh, Power Station, it was, I just kept falling on my 
face flat because I just kept trying to solve the problem, solve the problem. And so that's why I started asking. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to ask what kind of feedback people want. And I do think that there's absolutely there's time and place for celebration. I do think it's important that the people realize that, yes, this is what I'm asking for is celebration. And I think that that's fine. I think it's hard for other people who are willing to get the feedback. It's hard to, for them to really start opening up if one person isn't, or if three people aren't really opening up and they're just, they're only wanting celebration. It, it tends to, um, it sets a different bar. Like you're not on the same plane. So I have to now be it's it's shameful for me to ask for feedback from these people because so and so uh you know Jody doesn't need feedback you know Jody's got it all worked out so i think that sometimes having showing that vulnerability is really important for me that's one way i've helped connect with people is that i'm not uh definitely absolutely not perfect uh and uh, am okay sharing the imperfections um Fabio says, I believe feedback should be totally customized to the receiver from sensitivity to brain mechanics reasons. Absolutely. I think that the receiver has to tell you what kind of feedback they're getting. They need. I think that when they've asked for celebration, it's really important for us to, to stick to that celebration and, um, and just say, Hey, well, this is what I got from that. Like, and it's more like, here's what I received. Wow. That was really interesting. Or, or really just talk about the content and what I learned from whatever they were talking about. Or, um, and I think that that is really important. That's not necessarily celebration, but it's just like, here's what I got from it. But I think in a way that is celebration. And I think sometimes we're just too, we are so deep in that we're, it's so close to that core that it's too hard for us to get any kind of feedback on that or that we don't feel like we're in a safe space. I think that's the other thing. And that when I, if I was in a group and I, I kept, it was always about, there was no, like uh, not a lot of growth or not a lot of vulnerability happening. I would say, okay, well, what's happening here that um, people don't feel safe enough to be able to share a vulnerability, I think. So I think that that's, um, one of the things that kind of sticks in my head. One thing that I would add to that too, is if someone doesn't know what type of feedback that they need yet, one thing from the perspective of the person giving the feedback is to understand the relationship that you have with them and, and not just assuming that you go right to some deep level of feedback. Mm. So you can start testing the waters. It's like, I'm going to start with, you know, how did you do, you know, like the, how, mm. you know, focus on the, th the actions that they actually took and not go straight to the, well, tell me, why did you do that? This is an instance where you don't start with why don't be like Simon Sinek right there. <laughs> you know, focus on something else entirely because, you know, just starting with like the, I really like how you did this. Uh, mm -hmm. This is how you could improve that. And I, I think then you start to kind of see how they might view the, the relationship with you. So mm -hmm. if they see you as someone who is closer to their core, you might be able to be more intimate next time with the feedback. But mm -hmm. I think assuming, assuming that outermost layer, I think first and foremost helps you to kind of get to something that could be helpful for them quicker. Yeah, I also think it's good to share a vulnerability from your side. 
before you expect somebody else to share vulnerability on their side. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's always good to start that way. Paul said, so learning how to ask for feedback precisely would be a great exercise for students. And he said, for all of us, actually, I, um, yeah, yeah. So, and Fabio says he prefers the term conversation rather than feedback. Um, yeah, I agree. So I always think, you know, after a project, we call it a um, postmortem. Um, and I know that people outside of our industry are like, what? You call it a what? But we don't even think about it like, oh, let's just think about how it worked or how could this have worked better? Because we know that there will be more projects. We know we want to continue working with you. And that's the iterative, iterative, whatever, penalist, right? Like the, I can't even say <laughs> panelist people. Um, so, but that's the iterative part is that we are going to continue to get better. And I believe I can get, get better and get butter. Um, I believe I can get better. And I think it's about the, uh, the people around you also believing that you can get better. Yeah. And I think, I think the secret is, you know, there's that, that tension between your individual self and the group. Mm -hmm. And I think when you can start having that, I guess, a good relationship between with yourself and with others, I think that starts to help feedback be more uh, beneficial and more impactful. But I think yeah. it's when when you focus on one more than the other too much. I think if you're too invested in the community without any like internal work or individual work, I think that you get deficient, you get dependent upon feedback in a way that I think you can be over-reliant on feedback as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that for people who are in school or they're in that situation, they're in a, a weekly uh, or bi-weekly or three times a week, they're having these kinds of feedback sessions to go from that to nothing is like a huge detox a problem. And so that there needs to be some sort of, but what normally happens is they go from uh, school or something like that, where that's happening all the time, where they're actually feeling connected. And I think that's why a lot of people like college, because they feel like they were able to be themselves, but they were really able to grow. And there was, there's a connection with the other people because we were all vulnerable together. And I guess I see that. And that's again, what I'm trying to create in maybe some of the mastermind groups. And that's why I've like encouraged you. I want him to start a group for podcasters. Cause I think it would be really great. Um, because he has a great insight about those other things that I don't really do well. Um, and I know I can learn from him, but he can point those things out. And I would love to be with other people who are also willing to be like, hey, I don't really know what I'm doing. But I think that you guys are probably doing some things that I, you know, would like to know how to do. And maybe I could tell some things that you, you know, would want to do. Uh, I mean, like, I just think that if we are stronger together, if we share what what um, we know, and if we just hold it in and we don't help others, then it, we're not going to be stronger. We're not going to be better. It's not going to, it's not going to be a better world. So I think it's a great way for us to get better. And I know we're out of time. We're a little bit over. So I'm so sorry. And you probably are like, I've got to eat lunch. No, I'm Costa says the greatest feedback I got three years ago is when a customer rejected his offer. I asked why he rejected it. And that's the other thing is being willing to ask for that feedback. I think it's really great. Costas. He said um, why they rejected us. The conversation changed the course of my business to the better. I agree with everything you guys say. Thanks for reminding me of the power of asking for feedback. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. So, 
how do you process feedback now? If somebody was giving you feedback on like a coaching in your coaching program, you have to get feedback regularly on how you were doing as a coach. So how do you process it now? So what's interesting is a couple of weeks ago, I had an experience where I had to be observed by, I, I think they're like MCC level certified with, with coaching. And so they, they have some level of expertise and they're certified by an organization and they're looking at specific markers, you know, specific points that you're hitting or not hitting. Not markers. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But what was so difficult for me as someone who's not used to feedback at that level is just like the score is there. And, and it's very apparent. And when I'm, when I'm receiving the feedback, I can feel the defenses coming up and I can feel myself tightening up and I can feel myself wanting to fight. And you can just see my hands that are all tight. And I'm just like, I can feel in my body right now. But I remember telling myself, Chris, you've got like, I think at the time it was like, you've done 10 hours of like paid coaching calm down right like you know nothing man open yourself up to what you're getting and receiving and i think it it was some self-talk i think it really was that self-talk of going what can you learn from this how can you get better and i think that was a huge shift for me because then i could actually read the document that i got i could actually hear what people it was a global audience too i mean it was students all around the world and so it's not just like white guys you know all giving us confirmation bias you know it was you know a global diverse audience saying dude this this isn't working right here this this is great and it was impactful. So I think that was a, a really powerful shift for me. To me, that also says that you are getting feedback from people who you respect and trust and that they also want to see you succeed. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference in the internet or people that you don't know really well is that they may not be really wanting you to succeed or they're not really coming at a place of really wanting to see grow giving feedback. Do you think the way you're giving feedback has changed like with a client? Cause I know that the stuff you're doing with your coaching is, is mm-hmm. more on point uh, and you kind of go the onion skin way. Do you mm-hmm. think you're changing how you are doing that with uh, or integrating some of that coaching style into your client work? I hope I will. Um, I have, Again, I think it's getting over some of those bad habits and being willing to be, it, for whatever reason, it feels more vulnerable and more needing of courage when it comes to the creative stuff, because maybe I don't have the separation like I do with coaching now. Hmm. And, and, and I think I, I, you, you build that up through courage and taking the, the risk. And like right now I'm working on something where all my warning bells are going off. And I'm just like, all the alarms are going off. And I I was talking to my wife last night. I'm like, I don't know if I trust the warning bells though, Mm -hmm. because of just, you know, the world that we've lived in for the last year. I'm like, I don't know if, if I feel, if this is a real feeling or there was just something about it that I was so uncertain of. And, And I think the courageous step is saying, you know what, I'm going to err on the side of trusting those warning bells and at least putting it out there. And I think that is a huge shift from 
avoiding it, you know, mm. and, and not allowing the conversation to happen. Man, that was me with camp last year. I'm like, I don't know if I should do this thing. <laughs> but anyway, I did it and it went okay. So what's next for you? And uh, what can we expect? So what's next is uh, in a couple of like a month or two, I'm going to hit episode 500 of getting work to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just going to keep going. Like Simon Sinek talks about the infinite game. I'm like, that's my infinite podcast. And <laughs> I'll, I'll probably do it until I die because it just, it's such a great way to get out what I'm thinking and exploring. Yeah. And I hope it changes as I change. Well, good. So in terms uh, of, uh, I'm yeah. also working on a program. So like Costas has been like, dude, you need to take all that, you know, and turn it into something that you can sell. I'm just like, ah, oh, that's brilliant advice. And then someone else gave me the exact same advice. So working on developing a 16 week program that really helps people create something and build habits, get stronger. And I'm going to share that with the power station group tomorrow night. Oh, sweet. We get the inside insider information. Okay. Awesome. Well, I want to make sure you guys know how to get in touch with Chris and he is accepting coaching patients is what I almost said. At least (laughs) I didn't say penalists, right? There we go. So, um, But you can check him out at Chris Martin Studios with an S Studios mm-hmm. um, dot com and the Curiosity Lab. You can get on. He sends us an email every Friday and it's really good. So you guys should get on that email list at the Curiosity And then if you want to check out Getting Work to Work, you can find it on any of your podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts for sure. But you can also Getting Work to the T.O. Work, right? Not the number. Getting Work to Work dot com. And then uh, Beyond Your Imagination, the new one for filmmakers, uh, Beyond Your Imagination with Chris Martin. So it's BYI.show. So, and then social media, he's on Twitter at Build Curiosity. Man, that's an awesome handle. And then um, on LinkedIn, CM Studios, like Chris mm-hmm. Martin Studios with an S again. So thank you guys. And thank, thank you, Chris, so much. And Um, Thank you guys for staying a little bit longer and just listening to us talk about feedback. I appreciate you being vulnerable and open with me so many times. And um, I just appreciate that you were willing to have a bomb blow up in your face, but being willing to do that. And thank you guys for coming. I really appreciate it.